Hello from Canusa Street, everyone. My name is Chris Sands of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars and co-host of the Canusa Street podcast. Scotty Greenwood, my usual co-host, is moving on to bigger and better things, and we're switching up a bit with Beth Burke, incoming CEO of the Canadian American Business Council, joining me as co-host of the podcast. Now, while Beth and I work out our, our chemistry, get the magic sorted on our side of the street, we wanted to share with you an older podcast, one that Scotty and I recorded back in March of 2022. It's an interview with Peter Van Prague, who is the president of the Halifax International Security Forum, which is meeting this week in Halifax. But back in 2022, Peter talked with us about the shocking news of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and talked to us about how that could affect international security going forward. I was re-listening to this episode, and much of what Peter had to say still holds true today. I think you'll find it a fascinating re-listen, or if you haven't heard it before, a new listen. Something to tide you over until we have our co-hosting sorted out, and we'll bring you some new episodes very soon. One of the quotes that has come to mind is, um, there are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. I'm Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, and I'm joined by my dear colleague, Chris Sands at Wilson. Hey, Chris. Hi, Scotty. Nice to see you. Good to see you, my friend. Look, you know, it seems in a way that it's been a million years, Chris, since we've recorded our last podcast. The world has changed uh, dramatically. Uh, the last time we recorded a podcast, there was not a war in Europe. There weren't. There wasn't the largest refugee movement since World War II. So a lot is different. And I'm referring, of course, to Russian aggression in Ukraine. And as I think about it, and as I thought about that, and, and how would we on Canusa Street want to want to take a look at the issue, there's one person in particular uh, that I thought of, and it's our guest today. I'm so honored that Peter Van Prague can join us. Uh, and you'll introduce him properly. But just to give you a sense of why I thought about Peter, he's he founded the Halifax International Security Forum. And I've been going to that particular conference. It's like the Munich conference, really, only it's in North America. And I've been going for more than a decade. And I have to tell you, Chris, Ukraine has been on the agenda, I think, almost every year of Halifax. Halifax is always about peace and international security. And it predicts things or calls you know, calls our attention to things that sometimes we don't want to think about. And I was looking back through the agendas and some of the uh, participants in Halifax that Peter has invited are Petro Poroshenko, for example, who, as you know, Chris, was the fifth president of Ukraine. But also there have been Russian dissidents, uh, all kinds of leaders from the region, from Belarus, you name it. And so, you know, when you and I talked about it, I said, why don't we reach out to Peter? Because Halifax really has been so important. It's a Canada-US event that's actually global, deals with global issues. To my amazement, in week two of the war, we're now entering week three, uh, Peter responded almost immediately and said, yeah, I've just landed from Kiev. Uh, so he, you know, he's willing to talk to us. So, so it really is uh, timely and fitting and urgent, I would say, that we have this conversation. And I'm so honored. So with that as a very long windup, let me turn it over to you to introduce Peter properly, and then we'll get started. All right. Thanks, Scotty. Well, this is an exciting meeting. 
Uh, today, our guest is Peter Van Prague, and he's the founding president, as you said, uh, of the Halifax International Security Forum. He had served as senior director for foreign policy at the Washington, D.C.-based German Marshall Fund of the United States and as deputy vice president of programs at the National Endowment for Democracy in Washington, D.C. Also, he served as chief of party for the National Democratic Institute, both in the former Soviet Union and in Turkey. In 2006 to 2007, Peter served as senior policy advisor to the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Canada. Partly because he was so connected with generous support of the Canadian government, the Halifax International Security Forum was founded in 2009 as part of the German Marshall Fund. Halifax, the Halifax Forum became an independent organization in 2011. And today, as you were saying, it includes private individuals, businesses, donor organizations, and supporters. It is a network that extends from North America through Europe, Eurasia, South and East Asia, Africa, and Latin America. It is truly a, a global security-minded organization. And our guest today, there from the beginning uh, and keeping it strong even now. Peter, welcome. Chris, I'm delighted to be here. Scotty, thank you so much. I'm really, it's uh, for me, it's a privilege to be here to talk with you and to talk with uh, to talk with your listeners. Well, we're uh, we're really looking forward to this, Peter. We we really want your insights, and I and I think it's um, it's unusual to, that you that you come to these things because typically you're organizing this incredibly important global gathering. Um, but you put other speakers in the limelight, really, and uh, thought leaders. And so I guess I want to start and just ask you to reflect on Halifax through the years and the conversations about Ukraine, because I have to say, there is so much that gets discussed at those forums. And and there and there are breakouts, there are dinners, there are individuals that, that no one person other than you, Peter, <laughs> has visibility into all of it. And in retrospect, I wish I had uh, attended some of the Ukrainian sessions, to be honest, because you've ha you had several. So give us your perspective, if you would, about, about the region, about what's going on, and about what you just experienced when you were there just a few days ago. So I do think sort of as we as we get started in this conversation, I've been thinking a lot about, well, I've been thinking a lot about a lot of things. And uh, one of the things, um, one of the quotes that has come to mind and I've, I've is um, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. And uh, that of course is our friend Lenin. Um, and uh, really, as you said, the world has changed uh, since February Twenty-fourth, uh, um, and um, I do—I don't blame anybody uh, because I would have to blame myself uh, for not seeing what was coming. Um, I think that uh, you know, as as you said, the issues surrounding um, Vladimir Putin's Russia and its neighbors who are striving to to build democracies are things that we've been paying attention to for some time. Um, I think, you know, if, if you want to go back, I, I was in Ukraine. I've been going to Ukraine now for more than 20 years. Um, I was there for what's known as the Orange Revolution when it was when it, in 2004, when the Ukrainians uh, begun their march uh, west and decided that they really wanted to be a part of the modern world and break away from the Soviet, the post-Soviet sphere. And, um, and that continued on um 
you know, you know, in fits and starts, two steps forward, one step back. Uh, breaking away from communism is is not an easy thing. Um, and then, as you know, in 2014, um, Ukrainians protested uh, on the streets um, because they wanted they had an opportunity to move their country closer toward the European Union. And the president of Ukraine at that time uh, shot into the crowd uh, in 2014. And uh, the result was he was he he had to flee and 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 ended up fleeing to Moscow. And um, the result from that then was Vladimir Putin taking Crimea and um, and some provinces known as the Donbass uh, in eastern Ukraine. And so we've been calling at you know you talked about Halifax. We've been calling attention to the consequences of that period. Uh, we've had Ukrainian uh, officials, Ukrainian political leaders, uh, Ukrainian ministers, Ukrainian civil society, um, uh, you know, ringing the bell, uh, doing their best to tell Canadians, Americans, um, that more danger was coming. And again, don't want to assign blame. Uh, danger is one of those things that is relative. Um, and so, you know, European countries that were closer to Ukraine and certainly North America, Canada, United States, um, we're confident that this danger could be uh, controlled. Uh, even up until very recently, until last month, I think that most analysts um, were not ready to predict that Putin was going to go in uh, with a full-scale invasion. And I have to include myself as one of those. I, I didn't think what's happening now was going to happen. Well, and yet, and yet, uh at your conference, you've identified risks. You've identified Russia and China. There's a particular focus on China, and maybe, maybe we'll get to that. Um, you, you've had, you've developed a um, China versus democracy, you know, handbook for democracies. I wonder if it's time to do one on Russia. But I mean, in your 2019 letter at Halifax. You said, those of us who have been here before will know that over the next few days, you will be part of a unique experience designed to deepen our knowledge of existing security threats, alert the world to challenges to come, and find real world solutions to both. I think Halifax does that, Peter. I think it makes us think differently about the world. And the fact that you've had Ukraine on the agenda pretty much every year for 10 years tells me that even though... Uh, you didn't quite anticipate this exact moment or this exact action, uh, you know, there in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in the presence of defense ministers and members of Congress and, you know, journalists and thought leaders, uh, you identified it. So I think you're, I think you're being overly modest here. Um, but, but Chris, maybe I'll turn it to you um, to, to talk about kind of whatever you want to talk about, but also also the role of NATO, because we know that the Prime Minister and Vice President Harris have just returned from Europe uh, as we speak. Uh, and, you know, there's a big discussion. Understandably, the, the President of Ukraine would like NATO to enforce a no-fly zone. Uh, understandably, NATO is worried about that because that means World War III. So, Chris, maybe you should jump in here. Uh, sure. Thanks, Scotty. Uh, so, Peter, I think Scotty's brought up a very good point, which is, you know, six months ago, we were somewhat worried about the NATO alliance. It was talking about its potential role in the Indo-Pacific as a counterweight on China. 
Um, it was recovering from the end of the Afghanistan war. And some people were kind of questioning whether there was enough unity. And of course, after the Trump years here in the United States, I think a lot of the allies had been underfunding defense. Some of them responded to, you know, what is pretty much a consistent exhortation from the United States to spend more. Um, but all of a sudden, Ukraine seems to have pulled us all together. What's your sense of, of, of how and why Ukraine seemed to pull uh, the NATO allies together in a way that leadership in, in the U.S. has not done, uh, not nearly to this extent. And what do you think it means for the future with regard to China and other theaters? Is this, are we back in Europe and is Europe where we're going to be? Okay, Chris. So you've, you've, I mean, together, the two of you now are, are right. Uh, this conversation is right where it needs to be. So let me, let me answer it, uh, uh, if it's okay with you, a, a few ways. First of all, um, you know, I'm happy to talk about Halifax. Uh, Halifax International Security Forum's mission is to bring the democracies together, not just the NATO uh, allies, but global democracies. And, you know, we've been doing it, we've been tinkering, we've been doing our best. And, and you know, I'm proud that President Biden, you know, some people even told me that he was, you know, you know, stealing our ideas. Senator, some senators who are friends with him said, you know, when he did his summit of democracies, and that was a good effort as well. We're delighted, but nothing is bringing the democratic world together um, like. And it's and and I think Chris, you framed it right. It's not Putin's aggression that is bringing the democratic world together. It is the Ukrainians' steadfast courage in response to Putin's aggression. It is President Zelensky who is really rallying uh, the world. He's he's spoken to the American Congress. He's spoken to the uh, the British Parliament. He's going to be speaking to the Canadian Parliament next week. Um, Zelensky is a hero for our times. He is. Um, you know, I've said this, I don't think it's too, too, too much to say it now, uh, maybe two weeks ago when I was saying it, I was a little bit early, um, you know, uh, Prime Minister Churchill was alone for a year and a half during the Battle of Britain before the United States entered the war, and uh, he didn't have much. Uh, he had a few airplanes and he had his resolve um, while the Nazis uh, rained down on London. And um, uh, it is not a stretch now to put Zelensky in the same category as, as Prime Minister Churchill. This is a guy who is now pulling together uh, the whole world. Um, and I have to, you know, I do want to compliment, uh, it was, it was um, I don't compliment politicians easily, but um, it was um, Prime Minister uh, Johnson in uh, the UK who said it first, but now uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, Trudeau has said it, which is Putin will lose. And that is what we uh, have to understand. Uh, everything is at stake now. We are not playing for a draw. We're not playing for the pre-war situation. Um, we are playing to defeat Putin. And I, I want to make the distinction because it's a little bit different than defeating Russia. Um, and there is going to be a distinction between the Russian people. That's what we're trying to do with the sanctions, frankly. We don't want to go out and say that uh, too loudly, but that's essentially what we're doing. Um, and and Putin and the henchmen who are making this happen. And so, um, so long as our leaders are stay focused, I was delighted to hear Trudeau say that. Um, we're not playing for a draw. We're playing to win. Um, and the world will be a different place after this war. Um, and, and we, the democracies, have to shape that world. We don't have a choice. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's remarkable. Um, and you spoke about the individual leadership, but um, but maybe I, I unpack this a little bit at Halifax. 
it's more than just a meeting. It's a network. And I know you've kept groups together. You know, if you could characterize uh, this, you know, how is, uh, I guess, the Western democracies, how are the democracies now working together? And and is the idea that the U.S. leads this group as important as it was, or is it important that they all find common cause in that network and that the leadership can come from people like Johnson and Zelensky? What's your sense of where we are with with that age-old question of, of alliance leadership? So um, so let me just address the, the network issue uh, first, because that, that's really important. I, I flew into Ukraine on Wednesday, uh, the 23rd of February. Um, when I landed in Ukraine, um, as soon as I landed, uh, I was told by a member of our network, a senior official in the Ukrainian government, that the war was going to start that night. And uh, my office in Washington, you know, wanted me to turn around and go right back to the airport. I, I didn't. Um, I went to visit people who had been to Halifax, people who I knew were about to come under uh, uh, danger. I mean, the war was going to start. Um, I didn't know that it was going to start that night when I flew. Uh, I, I got that news when I landed. I went to the president's office. I, I met with Alexei Danilov, who had been to... Uh, who had been to Halifax just this past November. He's the secretary of the Security Council and, and essentially running the war. And I was taken uh, by his calm, cool, collected confidence. And he, he, um, he said, the war is going to begin tonight, um, and we're ready, and we're going to win. And it wasn't, uh, he wasn't doing it in a bra- bragging type of way, just very confident. And uh, I then went to, to the foreign ministry and I, I saw the deputy foreign minister, Emine Zhaparova, who's just a wonderful uh, person. She, um, she's an internally displaced person herself. And she, uh, she was, you know, she, she, she saw it as a failure that the war was coming, um, but she had this ca- calm confidence as well. Um, and, um, and later I had dinner at a, at, um, at a at a fancy seafood restaurant, you know, that could have been in Toronto. It could have been in New York city. Um, and again, everyone is out to dinner and they just had this confidence. They knew what was coming. Um, and everybody was just, uh, steadfast. Now that, that type of confidence, Chris, Scotty, that doesn't come from uh, American assurances. That doesn't come from um, NATO, knowing that NATO is going to protect them. What that comes from is, and this is something that we really have to think about in Canada and the United States, that's a confidence in their, I I don't want to sound um, Pollyannish about this, but their democracy, their freedom, and they were ready to defend that. Uh, it was really at stake. They they have been building it and working hard. They want to be a part of the modern world, and it's been a fight up until now. Really, a fight, you know, almost sometimes against each other, and a fight against corruption, and a fight against the Russians and the East. But now it was really coming to a head, and and they were ready for it. Now, the the issue is for us to, to, to uh, Chris NATO was was founded, you know, after World War II when we knew what we had just fought for. And so the question really is, does NATO know still what it stands for? Does it know what it's defending? Does it know how important it is 
um, and how at risk and volatile our freedoms are. So if we didn't know that last month, we know it now. We know it now. And, uh, and, and this is what's really, I think, focusing all of our attention. It's, it's got to be surreal, Peter, to have just been there and to have friends there. Um, I wonder what you're hearing now since you've come back. Um, and I, you know, you kind of answered it, but, but I wonder where this confidence comes from, uh, of the people, you know, every single interview that I've seen, every single social media, um, item that I've seen echoes what you say from, from Ukrainians there it's, they have no doubt they're going to win and they're just, you know, they're going to do whatever they can do. So, um, bring us up to the present moment, um, about what you're hearing, uh, from, from your friends there and your contacts there and, um, and what the, what the, you know, what the attitude is. I will tell you, um, I am in touch. Um, you know, when I was there, um, the bombing started and we thought that, uh, the communications were going to, uh, come out um, be knocked out first. And, um, the Russians have not been successful at taking out communications and that is an important part. So, the, so, uh, Ukrainians are communicating, uh, with each other. They're communicating with the outside world and, and keep in mind, Ukrainians have friends in Russia and Russia has friends in U Ukraine. And so they are texting with each other back and forth. So as much as Mr. Putin wants, uh, to control the narrative in, in, uh, in Russia, the Russians know what's not all Russians, but many, many Russians know exactly what's going on. Um, I have to tell you, Scotty, I continue to be, um, amazed at the attitude of folks who I know are in Kiev and who I know are in bomb shelters. These are people who I've known for years. These are people who, um, who I just met on my last trip, for example, my driver, um, on my last trip, who, who, uh, who drove me to the Polish border, leaving his, his wife and his two daughters in Kiev, uh, to take this foreigner to, to the border to, to safety. Um, when I text them, I'm always a little bit hesitant, you know, how's it going? You okay. And they're writing back, you know, they're, they're sending me, uh, uh, memes and jokes and I'm sending them memes and jokes and they love hearing it. And, you know, and, and, um, you know, I was at a, a pro-Ukraine rally at the White House and I was sending pictures of the rally. And it just means so much to them to know that people around the world um, are thinking about them. And so I have not heard one uh, complaint. I've had images, you know, they've sent, shown me images of their families in bomb shelters, but it's not a company. It's, it's factual. It's not accompanied by a complaint. They're just, they, they continue Um you know, uh, we're now we're to our thir third third week of the war. Um, that they're confident they're going to win. Now everybody in Ukraine now, just about, um, has somebody they've lost already. Uh, somebody wow. you know, somebody they know. Yeah. Uh, many families. Um, the Russians. This aggression is indiscriminate. They are taking out shopping malls. You saw this week they took out a hospital in Mariupol. Um, they are trying to break the, uh, the spine of the Ukrainian people. And uh, my understanding is that it is going to be completely counterproductive. Um, the, the Ukrainians are, and, you know, their leader is an amazing human being. Uh, it continues to inspire uh, the Ukrainian people.
Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and you've been following these issues for a long time, about two things. Um, first, this isn't the first time that Putin has taken on a, a democracy. And we, I think you and I both watched um, in Georgia as, uh, as there was an incursion into a part of Georgia, a peace taken out of the country, the country itself destabilized. And it wasn't that much later that we saw um, Russia in Moldova uh, with a Transdenistrian made-up republic that they carved out. And of course, as you mentioned, there was the Donbass before. So there has been this Russian-Putin tactic to destabilize countries. What what made it different this time? Well, you know, is it just the Zelensky leadership? Why do you think that that... And, and, and why do you think Putin changed his MO? Because he had been doing this successfully, and here he went a little bit further. My experience working in, well, actually in Russia, uh, but also other uh, former Soviet countries that um, that are not uh, democracies, is that a, an authoritarian leader has a really hard time understanding democratic governments. Um, maybe we don't understand authoritarian governments, but they have a really hard time understanding what makes a democracy tick. So um, very often, and this is true in history as well as right up to date, um, they take the wrong lessons from from different episodes. Um, I, I'm happy to talk about what led up, in my opinion, to the Georgia crisis in 2008. Um, um, but that was a test, uh, and probably we failed it. And, uh, and Mr. Putin uh, had his way. There's actually a government now in in Georgia that is effectively pro-Russian. Um, Abkhazia, uh, I mean, that's Abkhazia. Uh, Transnistria, as you point out, is another is another place that he got away from, just building a strip. Um, of uh, of of land uh, on the Moldova Ukraine border. In fact, as I was leaving Ukraine by land, I was driving towards Moldova, and they started launching missiles out of Transnistria. We had to change direction and 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 go back up toward Belarus um, and, and out that way. Um, wow! But each way, e- each way, each time that, uh, and then in 2014, of course, Crimea. And so each time he was gauging and and watching. And each time the West decided not to put up a fight, um, I think I'm, I, I don't, you know, I, cohesion has come together so well. I, I, I don't want to criticize, but I think it's important to point out that had uh, Putin uh, launched another limited operation to go a little bit deeper into Donbass and to build a land bridge between uh, Donbass and Crimea without a full-scaled invasion of the country. That combined with um, if the Ukrainians uh, had not put up a fight, I have to say I'm pretty confident that the United States and its Western allies would have just nodded and said, okay, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, let's just give Putin a little bit more and that's it. That's it now, Mr. Putin. That's it. We're going to have a, And that then would have led to something bigger and something bigger. But instead, what we have is this is it. This is the bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Putin uh, learned lessons that he thought he could get away with. He is now taking advantage of what he thinks or what he thought was Western or NATO um, weakness or indifference. And... Um, and as it, it is, it, as I said earlier, it's President Zelensky who is ensuring that NATO uh, and the West and the world's democracies are not going to let that happen. 
All right, so I have one other question, and this goes right to an area that you know well, but that I have to say mystifies me. I think mystifies a lot of Canadians and Americans, and that is Turkey. I think a lot of us thought Turkey is maybe on its way out of NATO. Uh, you know, they bought some uh, anti-aircraft systems from the Russians. There was a sense that they weren't as reliable an ally. The relationship with the Erdogan government didn't seem to be going very well. And yet in this particular crisis, the Turks have risen to the occasion in a remarkable way in helping Ukraine. Um, I realize we're supposed to be talking about Canada, U.S., but since I think a lot of Canadians and Americans are sort of scratching their heads at this, what what accounts for Turkey stepping up here? And what, what do you think that signifies about the larger conflict? Um, I'm always happy to talk about Turkey um, because we, you know, like Ukraine, we bring the Turks to Halifax every year because we're very... Um, in my view, um, and I lived in Turkey for five years, um, Turkey is an important piece of the puzzle. And uh, yes, uh, we're not happy with everything that Turkey's done, um, but Turkey is it is an important piece of the puzzle. We just have to th- think to ourselves how the NATO would look, or how um, you know our security would look if Turkey was on the other side. Um, and so I have to tell you when I, when I landed in Ukraine and I went to the president's office, they wanted to talk, they wanted to thank the United States. They wanted to thank Canada because they knew who they were talking to. And, and that's where I come from. And then they, they, they wanted me to hear how grateful they were to Turkey. Uh, and that was before the bomb started falling. And I, and I said, is this, you know, what, what, what is, they said, they said, these, uh, these drones, are going to keep us going. And so the Turks have been giving these armed drones called Bidoktar to the Ukrainians. They did it covertly um, for a while. That's really annoyed the Russians. But then President Erdogan of Turkey went to Ukraine himself and announced it. And these things are tank killers. And these things are part of what's making the difference right now. Now, what accounts for this? Um, I, I... I, I, it's important to know to, Turkey's been at odds with Russia, not only in Ukraine, but in Syria and in Libya. Um, and so, uh, yes, Turkey is um, a different type of ally than um, the Western allies. Um, but I am, you know, I'm starting to actually, and, and I think the fact that you asked me the question sort of, uh, you know, solidified my decision. I'm going to try to write a piece about how important Turkey is um, to the equation and to the future of European and North American security. And we really have to work to bring Turkey um, in from the cold. And if nothing else, Turkey has uh, proven that, not only that, on an unrelated note, you know, Turkey hosted Israel's president this week. And so Turkey's trying to improve relations with Israel. Um, and so it is, it, it is a key part of the, it is a key country and a part of the equation um, that we should, that we should be uh, thinking about. Well, this is such a complex, interrelated issue, Peter. I think you were talking about Turkey. I haven't yet asked you about China, and I think I want to have you back uh, on a on a future podcast because there's a there's a big China role here. So let's 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 reserve that, and we'll we'll bring you back if we could to Canusa Street. But maybe my last question, if I could, is as as we, you know, I think as as we in the United States and Canada are are watching. Um, events unfold in Ukraine, uh, we're trying to figure out how can we help. And there are lots of different ways to help. People have been, you know, renting Airbnbs that they don't intend to stay in just to get money in the hands of Ukrainians. I think that's been a phenomenal 
effort. There are people that are that are helping with refugees. But from your vantage point, what are the most meaningful ways that uh, that that we could help um, in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine? Scotty, thank you for that. I I, I do think um, you know people in Canada and the United States um, are very generous people. They're they're watching what's happening and they do want to help. I also um, you know, fundamentally, I do think it's going to be a because Canada and the United States are democracies. Um, leaders are going to be looking to 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 see engage what the interest is uh, for them to get deep more deeply involved. And so, you know, I, I do ask folks just to get involved. And if they're a protest, go protest. Um, in terms of what people want to give concretely, um, humanitarian relief I think is very generous. Um, and very important. There's, there's going, there's already two million refugees. There's going to be more. Um, what we are doing as an organization um, is, and we, we're doing this in cooperation with the, with the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense. I, I actually just spoke with the Deputy Minister of Defense uh, of Ukraine earlier today, and we are raising money to, um, to get Ukraine its own dedicated satellites. These are going to be launched on April 1st on some SpaceX rockets. Um, so rather than relying uh, on other governments um, showing Ukraine um, what they think Ukraine should be watching, these, these satellites are going to be completely controlled by Ukraine um, so that they can watch everything um, and, uh, and and can react to it. And it's just one more addition to uh, strengthen Ukraine's sovereignty. So if people on your you know, on, on your podcast are interested, it's, you know, our, our email is simply support Ukraine at halifaxtheforum.org, support Ukraine at halifaxtheforum.org, and, and then we can tell people how to, and it's also going to be up on our website. Um, but I, I think everybody in Canada, everybody in the United States um, needs to understand that these are, depending on how we react and how our leadership decides, um, this is the first battle of the next big war, and it's my preference that this war is won early, it's won quickly, uh, and it's won by us. We we need to be the winners of uh, of what's going on. That's so well said, and I think it's we take our inspiration from the Ukrainian people, uh, who are just extraordinary. Uh, and you know, uh, peace and security are such incredible treasures and we are very fortunate in canada the united states to live in relative peace and security so seeing this happening is something that is um you know more than heart-wrenching uh but listen peter just on I, i'd like to say thank you for joining us we'd like to have you back and and we'll give you the last word but chris maybe i'll turn it over to you before we uh before we wrap no no just to just to say thank you peter this is a tour de force and there aren't in my experience, there are a handful of Canadians who can truly take a global perspective like that, and you're head and shoulders above many of the ones who pretend to be. So uh, good on you, and thanks for coming to the to the program. Delighted to be here, and I'll come back anytime you want me. And, um, you know, we're all, I mean, the important thing is, Scotty, uh, Chris, um, we're all in this together now, and, uh, and that's the truth of it. Absolutely. Amen, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.